I thought we'd take a break from our uh, study through Matthew since we're at the end of chapter 5 and beginning chapter 6. And uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks up until uh, Resurrection Sunday, the 23rd, um, taking a walk with Christ to the cross. And uh, sometimes uh, we talk about the cross and and all this around communion time. We practice communion here once a a month and and usually on the first Sunday of the month. And so... um, it's a time that, that we share as believers, and uh, it's a time that uh, Christ instructed us to remember until He comes, and um, we want to do that a little bit later on in the service. Um, but just in way of, um, I guess, uh, introduction and then, and then also uh, just setting up for this series, um, you know, as we think of, of the name Jesus Christ, there's probably a lot that goes through our mind, depending on where we're at spiritually. It could be our Lord and Savior. It could be um, a religious icon to us. It could be uh, a curse word. <laughs> uh, we've heard people use that over and over again. But today I want to talk on the subject that Jesus Christ, He's more than just a good man. Because a lot of times when you ask people, what do you think of Jesus? Usually, unless they're Christian, they're a religious person, something like that. But if, if they're just not connected with the church in any way or any religious background, they'll say, well, he was a good teacher. Or he was this or he was that. And uh, they kind of conclude that basically that he was someone who had an impact, but it's not something that is to be an eternal impact. You know, you don't want to get radical about this Jesus stuff because then you're, then you're kind of stamped as some religious freak, and we don't want that, do we? So, you know, that's kind of the way people look at it. Um, Jesus Christ actually asked His disciples probably the most important question throughout all history when He asked them this question in the Gospels. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? In other words, it doesn't matter what other people think. He wanted to know what their heart was concerning His identity. And you know what? That's probably still the most important question that we could ever ask or be asked. And this morning, I want you to ask that question of yourself. Who do you think that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that He is? There's no more crucial question, I would say, for us to answer than that question that is asked of our Lord in the Gospels. What would you say if someone came up to you today at the grocery store and asked you this question? Tell me, who is, who is this Jesus Christ? I see you're dressed up. You must have went to church. Who is Jesus Christ anyway? What would be your answer? Okay, we could go around the room <laughs> and share probably this morning what your answer would be. But you know what? That's an important question to ask. That's so important. How would you reply if somebody asked you this question? What did Jesus Christ do that has made Him so great? What did he do? So this morning we want to focus on the question, well, who is Jesus Christ? Who he was and who he continues to be. He's still uh, alive. He was risen from the dead. Well, some say Jesus was a great teacher, and that's true. Um, Some people say, well, he was a healer, he was a prophet. Some people even go as far as to say that he was some revolutionary that kind of led this revolt 
and uh, against the, the Roman government and all this stuff. Uh, some people would focus on his love. They would say, well, he's obviously a person of great love. He was a wonderful, tremendous religious leader of the day. And all those things in and of themselves are true. And altogether, they're true of who our Lord and Savior is and was in his day. But unless we see Jesus Christ for who he is as God, who became man, the perfect God-man, you might say. When I was in youth ministry, I used to tell the kids, well, you know, Jesus Christ was God in a bod. And that's so true. That's exactly who He is. He was God in a bod. Unless we understand that, unless we start at the very foundation of that theological belief, we miss the greatness that He has done in history and, and has done throughout his life and even throughout the church and all that. And you say, well, what did he do? When people were asked, what did Jesus Christ do? And what made him so important? A lot of folks come up with different things. Some say, well, he taught us how to love. He taught us how to love. And you see passages in Scripture where he directly uh, deals with that aspect of who we are. How do we love each other? He told his disciples, you know, unless you love one another, you know, that's how they should know you. You should be known by your love for me and for each other. Some other folks say, well, he would point people to God. That's what he did. Uh, some people would say he healed people. Some people say, well, he knew God, obviously. I mean, you know, look at who he was. His, ter his teaching literally turned the world upside down. If you stop and think about it. Some people say, well, he's given us hope. Do you ever think that just our whole time frame, you know, don't forget next Saturday night, you've got to turn your clocks one hour ahead. little commercial here. Um, spring ahead in the spring, fall back in the fall. So it's next Saturday night. I think that's right. Anyway, that's what I put in the bulletin, so if not, we're going to be all messed up. But anyway, um, before you go to bed, turn that ahead. But think just our time, our date. When we say it's March 2nd, 2008, well, in reference to what? <laughs> well, guess what? He's marked his, his being in history, B.C., A.D., in the year of our Lord, before Christ. All those things focus around that one person, Jesus Christ. See, but if we focus on all those things and yet we still miss what He came for, we, if we miss the understanding that Jesus came to die on the cross, and if we miss the understanding of what He did, if we fail somehow to comprehend what Jesus did for us on the cross, I really believe that we'll fail to comprehend the main reason that He came to earth. That's why He came. He didn't come just so he could be some religious icon. He didn't come so he could have a bunch of people following him. He didn't even come to heal people. He didn't come to raise people from the dead. He didn't come to, you know, oppose the Pharisees. All those things he did, but that's not the real reason why he came. The real reason Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, took on a human body, the whole reason he did that was that so someday that he could be nailed to a cross and die in our stead, on our behalf. That's the whole reason. And I think that we have to remember that what He did for us on the cross makes Him probably the most important person in most of our lives if we understand that. 
and to catch a glimpse of His love and to catch a glimpse of His power and His greatness, we need to see and we need to stop and we need to pause because so many times we go to the cross right away. Well, what happened before the cross? Stop and think what kind of humiliation He must have had to go through and I'm not talking the humiliation of Holy Week when he was being scourged and his, his beard was being plucked out. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. But think about it this way. Think of the humiliation he must have went through when he became a man. <laughs> Can you imagine being God and limiting yourself, taking on a human body? That calls for a lot of humiliation. And then, to be a man that dies on something like a cross, which is basically, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. It was not a good thing. It's probably not a good thing today either. To die on a cross. You know, there, there's different ways you can die. Well, in their culture, that was probably one of the most hideous ways that you could die. And see, we forget that Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, He understood what He was here. And it's really vitally important for us to see the cross as the most important event in history. And what we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks is we're going to trace the last few days of the life of Christ. And we're going to concentrate mainly on His sufferings so that we can fully understand why we should make Jesus Christ the owner of our lives. Because all He's done for us, we should somehow come to grips with what He's done for us and that should make an effect on our lives. And I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself these questions in the next coming weeks. Just how much humility did Christ show in becoming the Savior? How much humility did He have to show to become the Savior? Why was becoming a man so humbling for Him? What was the most humbling event in the life of Jesus Christ? We're going to look at all those in the coming weeks. But turn over to the book of Philippians this morning because I want to share a verse with you. We're just going to kind of pause here a little bit. In Philippians chapter 2. And we want to understand these humbling steps that Christ took because He loved us so much He wanted to reach us. And we need to look at one of the most important passages in the New Testament when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's not in the Gospels. I believe it's right here in Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 5 through 8. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, Let this mind, or have this attitude, uh, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant." And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, what's it say he did? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, we need to see some principles today. And these principles are this. We need to see that Jesus surrendered His rights in order to redeem us. In order to buy us back. He needed to surrender His own rights. He also, Jesus assumed a humble position in order to redeem us. That's very important to understand who Christ was. And we also need to understand that Jesus had to completely, not just halfway, not three quarters of the way, not 99%, He had to completely be obedient to His heavenly Father, even to the point of dying on a cross 
in order to redeem us. So the first principle there, we need to see that Jesus surrendered his rights in order to redeem us. We're going to share some points here, kind of under each one of these. There's really kind of no rhyme or reason to this. But the the, the idea is we want to see, we want to understand the humbling steps Christ took to reach you and me. And he did that through various ways. First of all, how did he do it? Well, we must first try to grasp his greatness. See, if we don't understand who Christ is and was, saying he humbled himself, who cares? You could be a billionaire that has millions and billions of dollars. And if I see you down dressed in tattered clothes, pushing a shopping cart, handing out sandwiches to the poor, and I know who you are, then I'm going to say, whoa, that's a humbling thing. This guy could just go hire somebody to go do this, but he's actually doing this. He's he's even identifying with the people he's ministering to. He's not down there in his three-piece suit. Very important. See, but if we didn't know that person was a billionaire, it wouldn't have happened. It's another bum on the street. See, we need to understand his greatness, first of all. And stop and ask yourself this question. How do we measure love? One way, I think, that we see just how much someone is willing to sacrifice for those he loves. That's how we measure love. How much are you willing to sacrifice for those you love? I mean, you know, last week I kind of joked about, about uh, you know, uh, w- with my wife, you know, in the remote control. You know, it's like, I want to watch what I want to watch. I'm not going to give you the remote control. That would be insane. You're going to be watching, you know, Murder, She Wrote or some of those goofy shows that I watch with her sometimes and just sit there, and, you know, or some of the weird comedy she watches. And she's laughing and she's looking at me and I'm just like, I don't get it. You know, sorry. See, we have to understand how much you're willing to sacrifice. And it sounds silly, but when I give up that remote control, I'll tell you, it's a sacrifice because I don't know what's coming up. I know it's not going to be the military channel. I know it's not going to be cops. It's probably not going to be the history channel. Those are about the only things I watch. So, you know, it's a sacrifice on a much lower level. But see, we have to understand, first of all, here, Christ's greatness in order to understand how much He sacrificed. Because when we look at how much Jesus Christ, and we fully understand how much He gave up to come down, to be born of a virgin, to take on a human body, to live the life He did, to be be subject to all the scrutiny that He was, and then to die on a cross, we begin to realize that Jesus Christ was more than just a good man. The idea goes, the greater the sacrifice, what? The greater the love, right? If he didn't have anything to sacrifice, well then, he's not going to be able to show us his love very much. And I think this morning we want to see that Christ sacrificed more in an effort to help others than any other person ever. He stepped down from the heights of heaven to experience something that was so excruciatingly painful and shameful and humiliating, this death on the cross. Why did He do it? He did it because He loved us. He wanted to rescue us who, was, who were quickly on our way to the depths of hell. We don't hear much about hell today, but hell's a very real place. It's a place of utter torment. It's a place where you know the, the flesh doesn't die. It's not going to be burned up. All this stuff, that you're going to be conscious in hell. It's a place where there's, there's absolute absence of anything that has to do with God. And some people say, well, when I end up down there, I'll be partying with my buddies. No, you won't. 
That would not be punishment. That would not be torment. That would be fun. <laughs> You're not going to have fun in hell. Sorry. God didn't make a place of hell so that you could have fun. It's meant to judge our sin. And the only way out of that place is to have our, our judgment meant for us on the cross of Christ. And that's what Christ did. But just who was Jesus Christ before He came to earth and died for our sins? Stop and think. Was He an angel? <laughs> was He some other created being before He came to earth? No. Some people believe that, but that's not what the Bible says. In Philippians 2.6, the Bible shows us that He was God. He is God and He always will be God. In Philippians 2.6, it says there very clearly, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard, it, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, that verse in Philippians 2.6 teaches us that Jesus Christ did not have to grasp at being God. That's what that means. Because He was already and He always will be God. Stop and think about it. If you've always been an American, do you have to grasp at being an American? No. It's already done. If you stand six feet tall, do you have to go home and put yourself on a stretcher? Oh, you know, I, I just want to be six feet. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you're already six feet. You wouldn't try to be six feet. You already are six feet. If you inherited five million dollars, would you struggle somehow to reach millionaire status? No. You would already be a millionaire. See, Jesus Christ did not have to work at being equal with God. For He has always been God. That's who He is. From all eternity, Jesus Christ coexisted with the Father and the Spirit as God. We call that the Trinity. You say, well, I don't understand it. Well, you know what? I don't understand it either. <laughs> but that's what God's Word says. And it says it rather clearly over and over and over again. They're not three different gods. That wouldn't be good. It's one God. Three distinct personages. And they all make up God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How do you explain that? I don't know. Some people say, well, it's like an egg. You know, you got the shell, the yolk. No, you can't use that. You can't even use water, vapor, ice. None of, none of, none of the examples on a human level add up because they always kind of, one falls here or there. They're all one, and yet they coexist together as one God, and yet they're all distinct. They all have different roles. Any statement true about God also applies to Jesus Christ, for He's God. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who's He talking about there? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus Christ the Word of God in that verse. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, it always was. There was never a created time when Jesus Christ hasn't been. And you say, well, I thought He was born. Yeah, He was born of a virgin. He took on a human body. But that's not when He began His existence. He just inhabited a human body for 30-some years and then He died on a cross. But He, he has lived in and throughout eternity and continues to live. So we have to understand where He is. We have to grasp His greatness, first of all. Secondly there, to understand the humbling steps that Christ took to reach out to you and me in our sin, we need to understand and we need to know that Jesus Christ is all-powerful. 
So you may say, well, you know, yeah, he's, with, he's God, but is he all-powerful? Yes, he is. Because since Christ is God, there has never been, nor will there ever be, anyone as powerful who has walked the face of the earth as he is. It's impossible for us to understand the total magnitude of his strength. I mean, we can't even comprehend it. But the Bible tells us a little bit about it. It tells us a little bit about his power over in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I mean, here, just to give you a little idea of what God says about the power that, that, that kind of is within His Son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse um, 16, He says, for by, all, or for by Him all things were created. What does that mean, everything? Well, it says in the Greek, for by all things, by Him all things, that means all, all means all. All things were created that are in heaven, and He goes on, that are in earth, visible invisible, pretty interesting, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And then in verse 17, it says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. You know, what key things do those verses tell you about Christ's power? Pretty interesting study if you stop and you think about it. Pretty powerful individual. If he created everything we see around us, doesn't matter whether it's visible or invisible, it was not only created by him, but it was created for him. That's a pretty powerful individual. And it says that he's before all things. That, that means basically he's over everything. It doesn't, that's not referring to, okay, he was born before anybody else. No, it doesn't have that. It's not talking about the idea that something began in time. It's talking about something that always was. Therefore, he's over everything. I mean, how much power do you think it would take to create the sun, moon, and stars that we see around us? Stop and think about it. Have you ever done any study in those areas? I mean, it's amazing what they're finding out about our universe and galaxies. And it goes on and on and on. And it's mind-blowing. And yet, what do they want us to think? Well, you know, we're just a slime, a slum ball in the, in the, the swamp, and then we kind of bumped up on the ground, and pretty soon, you know, we sprang a leg, and eh, pretty soon we're walking around. Oh, here we go! Pretty soon we're building cars and factories. and I mean, that's such a crazy argument. That's like walking into an office and saying, boy, that's a beautiful picture on the wall. Yeah. What's the next question? Usually, who painted that? Who's the artist behind that picture? You don't just say, gee, that just appeared there. Just out of vapor. It just kind of just appeared. Or I left some crumbled up paper in my office and I came back on Monday morning and boom, it had formed itself into this beautiful piece of art on the wall. That would be ridiculous. And yet we look at something as creative and as, boy, detailed and, and all the minutia that goes on within our bodies, all these things, and we say, ah, well, we just came from a blob that was floating around in the water. <laughs> it's nuts. And yet the enemy, that's what he wants. He wants to take the glory away from God and replace it with the glory of man. So hopefully man can think and say, oh yeah, well, we're, we're evolving and we're doing this and we're doing that. 
stop and think how much power it took to create the sun, moon, and stars. How much strength do you think it would take to hold all the galaxies in our orbit? You know, when they, molecular scientists, they get right down to the atom and they start looking at things, they kind of scratch their head because they're going, hmm, we really don't understand what kind of holds everything together because everything's zipping around here. You know, I mean, if you take a rock on a, a thing and you start spinning it around, what happens? It goes out. And if you leave it go, where's it go? It, it wants to go, right? Well, what's holding everything together? Our scripture says. And in him, all things hold together. And I think there's going to come a day, beloved, when Christ says, okay, not that I'm tired, but I'm just done holding things together. Because the Bible says that basically this earth, this heaven, everything we see in front of us now will be burned up one day. How would that happen? I don't know. But I think if Christ lets go of things, we're in a, a world of hurt. And that could be exactly what happens. It's impossible for our minds to comprehend the greatness of who Christ was or His power. And within His own even personal reach, He has power beyond description. Amazing power. No created being could ever stand up to His power or His strength. Because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is God Almighty. There's none like Him ever. We not only understand where he came from, we always understand. We also need to understand that he is all-powerful. Thirdly, to understand the humbling steps that Christ took to reach down to us, you and me, to save us, we need to understand that Christ emptied himself. Whoa, what's that mean? Turn back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says there in the text, 2, 7, Speaking of Jesus, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. He emptied himself. What an amazing declaration. Paul tells us that Christ is God, but that he did the most unreal, astounding thing when he left heaven and he came to earth. It says he emptied himself and he took on the form of a bond servant. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God in heaven, Jesus Christ, and I was coming to earth, I wouldn't come as a servant. I mean, you're God. You could come as, you know, whoever you want. Some of you sports fans, you could come as your, your favorite basketball player, your you know, favorite football player, baseball player, whatever. You could come as, as the top CEO of the top company of the world. I mean, you could come as anybody you wanted if you were God. But no, He chose to come as what? A bond servant. Well, what is that? What is a bond servant? What does that really mean? What does it mean in the Bible when it says he emptied himself? When Christ emptied himself, I want you to understand this, and we don't have the time here this morning to go into this in, in depth, but we're going to cover it in this way. I want you to understand the one thing it doesn't mean... Sometimes the best way to figure out what something means is by what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that Christ quit being God. It does not mean that somehow when He came down to heaven, He emptied Himself of His deity. It doesn't mean that. It couldn't mean that. Because if it means that, then we're in opposition to what the Bible says. In Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So you can't have a Jesus Christ in eternity past who's with God and He is deity, and then he comes, to he-, he comes to earth and He loses His deity. And then He regains it later. Some people believe that. But 
It says here, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, if Jesus Christ has always been the same, could there ever been a time when he was not God? No. When Jesus came to earth, he remained God, but he took on humanity. He became a real man in addition to being totally, absolutely, really God. <coughs> He'd always been God, but he added, you might say, the extra baggage and the extra burden of becoming human. Can you imagine not being human and having to become human? All the things we put up with? I mean, just this body. Just the limitations of our body. I mean, that's just amazing to me. He took on all that extra baggage and that burden of becoming a human being. However, unlike us, he did not sin. He was perfect. He didn't have a sinful nature. See, with our little minds, our pea brain minds, we can never quite understand that mystery. But that's what the Bible teaches when Christ became a man, He voluntarily laid aside, you might say, the independent use of His divine powers and His rights. And He humbled Himself and submitted Himself to the Father's will. Jesus never ceased to be God. doesn't mean that. But He veiled His deity in human flesh. And He lived in earth in total dependence upon the will of His heavenly Father. Jesus never did anything outside of His Father's will. Ever. Not once. Stop and think about that. He never had a selfish thought. He never had a selfish word. He never did anything that was selfish. Not one single thing. He lived on earth as the Father's sinless bond servant. Think of after church you had the opportunity to... Those of you who maybe like basketball... Suppose the greatest basketball player in the league today showed up in your backyard to play you one-on-one after lunch. So you invite all your friends over. <laughs> They're all watching this. You know what? I mean, it's kind of scary, the, the thought of it. You're going to play this guy? I mean, he's you know, probably close to seven feet tall. Most of them are, whoever he is. How could he even get on the same court with this superstar? But he kind of looks at you and realizes your fears. He understands that you know, you're know you not as tall as him. You're probably not as skilled as him. You're not as professional as him in this area of expertise. So he comes up with a plan. He promises to tie his shooting arm behind his back. Whichever arm it is, right, left, whatever. And this would help you at least relate to this great player in the game because he'd be meeting you at least a little closer to your level. If you're good. If you're like me, then just, you know, you know, the prayer. He could tie his hands and his feet and everything, and I'd still lose. But see, in his great glory, as God in heaven, Christ was so overwhelming that human eyes could not have looked on him and lived. And so Christ, when He came down to earth, He kind of veiled, you might say, His great glory and His power in what we call human flesh. 
And see, just as that basketball player superstar came down to your level by tying one or both of his arms behind his back, even so, Christ came down to earth on our level to become a human being so we could identify, so He could leave us an example that we need to follow. See, if He came down purely as God and said, hey, do this, do that, you know, I mean, we can't relate to Him now, even in human flesh sometimes. Can you imagine if He didn't even do that? It would be impossible. And so, it wasn't easy for Christ to do that, to lay aside His rights as God. Still God, but he, he was still a basketball player, but he had one hand tied behind his back. See, we need to see that Jesus assumed this humble position in order to redeem us. He didn't come in all His glory and all this. That's, that's going to happen. But that, that wasn't then. The fourth thing here is to understand the humbling step Christ took to reach you and me not only to understand the, the heights from which He came or His power, or to understand that He had to empty Himself, He had to humble Himself, but also we need to realize that He took the form of a bondservant, it says. Well, what is a bondservant? Very simply, a bondservant is a slave who willingly gives up his rights to serve his master. You know, back when slavery was part of our country and everything, there was a lot of bondservants. It might surprise you if you actually read the history of our country. There was a lot of, of slaves who, after they were able to go free, didn't. They said, hey, you know what? I got it pretty good here. Now, there were obviously some other people who didn't take care of their slaves as well and, and beat them and all sorts of things, and they probably got out of there pretty quick. But there was a lot of people because it was an investment as their master into the slave. You know, you wouldn't want to abuse these people because they're helping you work the household and the farm or whatever it is, and so you had to take care of them. It's just like an employer, an employee relationship. Although it was slavery, and it's wrong, we know that. I'm not making an excuse for slavery, but I'm just saying that a bondservant is a slave who willingly gives up his rights to serve his master. So at that time in history, there were some slaves that said, you know what, I'll be an equal here. I mean, I understand I don't stay here, but I'd, I'd still like to serve your family, and I'll stay here. And they continued to have their needs met, and they continued to you know, be part of that family because that's how they were looked at. See, Jesus Christ willingly became God's servant for the good of all mankind. That's what He did when He came down. Jesus Christ didn't walk through His life like some pompous king, even though He was a king, who barely tolerates His people. He didn't do that. When Christ walked on earth, He was God's loyal servant who ministered sacrificially to everyone, to all mankind, whoever He came in contact with. See, Jesus gave up His personal rights as God to make sure that He served all of us. That's what he did. He took on the form of a bond servant. He, he could have performed miracles and, and for his personal comfort and prestige. <laughs> he could have done that. You know, hey, look at me kind of thing. He didn't do that. He could have demanded the whole world worship him. But he didn't do that. He could have chosen not to die on the cross and allow the whole world to go to hell suffer in hell for eternity. But He chose instead to do the Father's will and to die on a cross for all of us. The Bible says that He could have commanded thousands of angels to kill His enemies at any time. He could have just went, boom, you're toast, gone. <laughs> That's the kind of power that Christ had. But He didn't do it. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, the Bible says, Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor that through His poverty, 
that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you understand that? I mean, he was rich. He was God. And when he came to earth, he became poor. Still God, but he became poor. The Bible says that sometimes he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Matter of fact, there were people that followed Christ on occasion, and they'd say, Oh, follow, you know, hey, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you'll go, Jesus, over in, in, in Luke 9, I think it is. And he says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Well, I'll go, let me go bury my father first. Or I'll go, I have to go say goodbye to my family. They're always coming up with excuses. But they saw the big entourage that Jesus had. They saw all the people that were following him. And they probably saw some of the miracles he performed. And some of the people of the day thought, hey, I gotta get in on this. This looks pretty good. I bet you this guy's bringing, bringing in the dough. Well, none of that was going on. Because Christ didn't have ulterior motives. He became poor. So that through his poverty we might become rich. The Bible also says in Isaiah 53, 3, that he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. See, you know, the one thing we need to do is we need to go through all of our Christian literature and go into all the Christian bookstores and find all the portraits of Jesus, even though nobody was ever there who painted him. Because they always have him as this dashing man with flowing brownish blonde hair and piercing blue eyes and this killer smile. And That's not what Jesus looked like, beloved. That's not what He looked like. As a matter of fact, it almost says here, like one from whom men hide their face. When He walked on the earth, people were, oh, God, what happened to you? He was not pleasant to the eye. It says that we did not esteem him. See, so we gotta we gotta take all these flowery images of Jesus and just flush him down the toilet because that's not probably what he looked like. We know he was Jewish, so he probably had a, a rather protruding nose, big nose, and you know he wasn't this guy that we see in the movies and all this. That's not what we see. Was he physically fit? You bet as most of the people of that day were. You couldn't do some of the things that he did without being physically fit. But I can tell you, he wasn't good looking. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, this is so important, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he not only for, he not only gave up his his riches, he not only gave up all that he had in in heaven and came down here to earth and says that he was he was despised by men, but it says that he also was sinless. He was perfect in every way and he didn't know sin ever. I mean, we can't even be begin to think that. We can't even enter into that that realm of thinking because sin is all around us. It's in us. It's through us. It's all over the place. But the Bible says in that verse that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And the way to think of this is is simply this. When Jesus was on the cross, God treated Him who was sinless 
He treated him as if he had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe in his name. Now, I don't know about your life, but I just look at the sins in my life and I got a pretty long list. Now, can you imagine being totally sinless, totally perfect, and having the burden not just of Steve Converse laid upon him, but the burden of sin of everybody who would ever put their faith and trust in Christ was laid upon him at the cross. That's like walking into San Quentin and saying, you know what? Check my record. I have never committed any crime at all. But you know what? I want you to take all the crimes of all the people that were in this place today and I want you to put them on my account and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve them so they can go free. <laughs> I mean, we can't even comprehend that. You say, well, that's a stupid illustration. Yeah, it is, because there's nothing that compares to what Christ did. He gave up that... that ability to not even be have sin put on Him. And He took it upon Himself. Also in Mark 10.45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, <laughs> and to give His life a ransom for many. You know, this Jesus Christ that we're talking about, even though He could have come to be served, and people would have willingly served Him, because He was God. But he, that wasn't His purpose. His purpose was to what? To serve. See, just like when you come to Christ and you put your faith and your trust in Christ and you're so happy and the burden of sins lifted from your, your, your life and boy, you know, gosh, what do I do now? What's He want you to do? He wants you to serve Him. However He's gifted you, whatever calling on your life He's put, whatever it is, He wants you to serve him. Because we know that Jesus Christ didn't come into the world just to be served, but He came to serve. And see, sometimes as Christians, after we you know, get Christ and we get forgiven and everything, then all of a sudden we're, we're too good to serve anybody. And we, we begin to think a little more of ourselves than we ought. And the Bible says, no, don't go down that road. You better remember from where you came. Remember the path to hell that you were on. Remember all the sin that was unforgiven in your life. Don't think that you're some pious, righteous person when you talk to somebody who's outside of the faith. Because, brothers and sisters, we're all just sinners saved by what? Grace. There's no hierarchy here. There's no, oh, that guy wears a collar. That guy wears... It's ridiculous the way we think sometimes. But we need to serve one another in love. Willingly, Christ laid aside His divine rights in order to be the greatest servant who ever lived. Time and time again, His concern about serving others came to the, the forefront. He let the very people He served even mistreat Him on occasion. The angels in heaven must have really been in great wonder as they looked down and observed this whole thing. <laughs> In John 1.10, the Bible speaking of Christ says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. He came to His own. His own He came to, it says, and those who were His own did not receive Him. See, we're beginning to see these humbling steps that Christ had to take in order to redeem us, to, to 
allow us to have peace with God. There's a couple more things here in order to understand these humbling steps that Christ took to reach you and me. First of all, we need, or fifthly here, we need to see that He was made in the likeness of men. And He was found in appearance as a man. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says that. It tells us the amazing truth that Jesus Christ took on human nature and He was recognized as a real man by those who saw Him. Um, and, and that's, once again, one of those mysteries in our mind. We don't totally understand that, but the fact remains that Jesus Christ really, you might say, kind of possessed two natures. He had a, 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 a human nature and He had a divine nature. He had a human body and then he, had a, he had a divine nature to Him. He was perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% man. There was no conflict between His two natures at that point. And as the God-man, He was fully committed to doing the will of His Heavenly Father. You, know, you can stop and you can say, well, did He really have a, like a, a human nature? Well, yeah, He did. Sinless one, but He did. He experienced emotions. He endured all the burdens we face, and yet He never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this, For we do not have a high priest... Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In other words, we don't have somebody up there dressed with all this garb, performing some religious task that has no idea what's going on in our lives. That's not what we serve today. But he says, but we have one, in Hebrews 4.15, who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That means we, he can identify with us. He knows what that means. I gave you a little list there. I think in your outline on the back page. And the one thing, you don't have to do it now, but sometime, you know, stop and think about how human Christ was. I mean, I put there, I get tired. I don't know, do you get tired? I get tired sometimes. You may be getting tired right about now. I don't know, but we just got a couple more minutes, so hang in there. But I get tired. You know what? Just on that right hand with those little dots in, just put, so did Christ. I get hungry. You know what? So did Christ. I get harassed by too many people. Well, so did Christ. I cry. So did Christ. I get happy. So did Christ. All those human elements are right there in the Scriptures for us to see in His humanity. It's amazing to know that the Son of God allowed Himself to experience all these humbling circumstances in these, these sorrowful times. He was Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us also that the people of Christ's day, they accepted His humanity, but they rejected what? The fact that He was God. They just said, nah, can't go there, sorry. Hey, you're a nice guy, you do these little you know, miracles and stuff, and yeah, you got some smart things to say now and then, but yeah, fully God, I don't think so. They reasoned He was born just like them. So how could He claim to be God? And because of the hardness of their hearts, few saw that He was the God-man, the Messiah, the One who came to save them from their sins. I mean, you would think that Christ had humbled Himself enough that everybody would believe in Him. I mean, what else does He have to do? He laid aside His personal rights as God when He came to earth. In deep humility, He became a servant of everybody. He experienced human emotions and many hard trials as well. In other words, He didn't isolate it from himself. He went through very hard times. We're going to be looking at some of them in the coming weeks. What more can we ask of him? 
And yet the Bible teaches us that Christ stepped even down further on the line of humility to say this. Because the third principle is we need to see that Christ was completely obedient to the Father, even to the point of dying on the cross in order to redeem us. That brings us to the last point here. To understand the humbling steps Christ took to reach you and me, save us from our sins, we need to see that He became obedient even to the place of death on a cross. Jesus Christ became an example to us as what it means to be totally obedient to God the Father. If you ever want to say, well, what's it mean to be obedient to God? Look at the life of Christ. Although it says He was equal with God, He voluntarily decided to depend upon the Heavenly Father and obey Him in everything. And so as He walked on this earth, He was constantly sensitive to what the Father wanted. Constantly. John uh, chapter 5, verses 19-20 says, Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. The greater works and the greater works than these He will show Him uh, that, you, that you may marvel. Stop and think of this illustration. Our hands are controlled by what? If we're a functioning human being. Our brain, right? Our hands are controlled by our brain. Um, it's not the other way around. That would be a scary thought. Okay, but, um, you know, our hands are controlled by our brain. See, when a person's hand moves apart from instruction from their brain, what do we call that? Call it a spasm, right? Kind of just, you know, people that do that. I mean, they're, they're kind of... Their, their, their body's having a spasm, a spastic moment, movement. Um, some of them have spastic moments too, but you know, we're talking about spastic movements here. So if the brain doesn't tell the hand to do something, it's doing it, it's a spastic movement. But if the brain gives a command to the hand and the command doesn't move, what do we call that? Paralyzation, right? I mean, God forbid you're laying in bed someday and you're going, okay, I've got to get out of bed. Feet move, legs move. I was visiting Althea this last week and she was telling me how some of the paralysis is leaving from her, her, her operation and everything. Just through rehab. But she said it's not as easy as just saying, okay, get out of bed. And her, her legs don't want to move. They've atrophied and, and, you know, she's got a, physically sometimes she has this little hoop thing that she puts down and she loops it around her toe and she can pull it back and put her foot over like that without having to bend over and, and grab it. Because her, her body's not working properly. See, and, and we have to understand that Jesus never acted on His own. Nor did He ever refuse to respond when He was given a command by the Heavenly Father. He wasn't paralyzed, and He was never spastic. He was under complete yielding to the Heavenly Father, even to the point of death. Being obedient to the Father cost Jesus Christ more than it cost any other person in history. He voluntarily <coughs> obeyed the Father to the extent that it led to his death. I mean, I think it was, <coughs> I don't know, John MacArthur, somebody wrote a book, Who Killed God? Or an article or something. And then it said, God did. <laughs> Who killed God? Who killed Jesus? God did. It was the Father's will that <coughs> he die on the cross. Now, with that being said, dying is never probably an easy thing. 
mean, I don't know many of us that <coughs> wake up in the morning and go, hey, I hope I die today. You know, I hope I experience the process of dying. Uh, you know, dying is not so much the thing, it's the process that I'm not looking forward to, whatever that may look like. Hope it's quick and you know, speedy, but you never know. See, but, but even that thought of that, kind of, we don't, you know, that's not something we ponder every day. See, man's whole body and soul cry out to live rather than to die. That's just in our human nature. I mean, when you see somebody in harm's way that could possibly be killed, usually we want to help them out of that situation. We don't just sit back and go, this should be interesting. <laughs> Baby's crossing the freeway. I mean, we wouldn't ever do that. We would, we would intervene to spare that life. See, by his word, he breathed life into all creation. The Bible says that in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, Christ was the epitome of life, and yet he gave all that up physically to die on the cross because he loved us so much. And dying on the cross, as we said, was a very shameful and dreadful experience. And Roman law basically protected any Roman citizen from being executed. That's how horrible it was. They wouldn't allow their own people to be crucified. Just other people. I mean, what more could Christ do than what he did on the cross for all mankind? He humbled himself as much as he could. He, he's, he's reaching out to us this morning. He's saying, I don't know what else I can do. I am totally God. I've always been God. I came. I took on a body. I lived a life that was exemplary before you. Served people. Died on a cross. And I'm here to tell you that, you know what? I died in your place. And that should grab our heart. Because, you know, not many times do people die in our place. Maybe some of you who have served in the military here could say that, that you were in a, a certain situation and somebody jumped on the grenade or whatever and spared your life. But that's not a daily event in life. That's something very special. And that's what Christ did for us. And that's, that's the beginning. That's the foundation we want to lay for the next couple of weeks so that we understand that Jesus Christ, He wasn't just a good man. He was very God in human form. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning and we'll have our communion time together and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, we thank You that Your Son was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And uh, Lord, we don't, uh, at least in this country, practice crucifixion. But Lord, it is a very excruciating, painful death. And Lord, for You, the King of glory, the God of gods to come down to this earth and die in that way. It just shows that you, you were truly humiliated, that you were truly willing to be humiliated. And it's, it's not just so that people one day could say, oh, isn't that person humble? But it had a purpose, and the purpose was that he could die in our place for our sins. Because, beloved, that's one thing that's going to happen to every one of us. Every one of us, sooner or later, will leave this earth We'll leave this body. We'll give up our last breath. And we'll die. That's what happens. It's part of life. And the key is to understanding that you need to be ready for that time. You know, we can't just, well, you know, when it happens, it happens. You know, we, you, there's, a, there's a life after this one. 
There's an eternity, and you're going to spend it in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And the interesting thing, the only thing you can do in this life to assure you of heaven is not to join a church, not to give money, not to help the poor. All those things are great, but that's not going to guarantee you heaven. Going to confession, doing all this stuff, that's not going to give you a guarantee of heaven. I know, I, I grew up with that whole thing in my background. The only guarantee we have of heaven is when we stop and we look at the cross and we put our faith and our trust in the work that Christ has already accomplished for us. It's not about what you do as a Christian. It's about what was done for you already. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in what you do every day? The Bible says our, 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 our works are like filthy rags before a holy God. Almost they make Him sick when we try to use those works to gain entrance to heaven. That's not something that pleases Him. He wants us to come before Him broken, destitute, realizing that the only way out of this mess that we put ourselves into is through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He calls us to do. And I pray this morning, if you've yet to commit your life to Christ, I pray that you would cry out to Him this morning, be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. We're all that way. We're all sinners. We all need Your grace. But Lord, I, I come before You this morning and I cry out to You. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Allow me to experience Your love and Your forgiveness as I've never experienced it before. Make me whole. Take the burden of my sin and transfer it to Christ. Because in Him I can be righteous. In Him I can have forgiveness. In Him I can find joy and peace and happiness. Outside of that, it's just like chasing the wind. Father, we thank You for our time this morning. We pray that You would draw our hearts close to You, even closer through our communion time. And Lord, uh, we just pray that You would uh, minister to us as we uh, seek to remember the sacrifice that You made on our behalf. And Father, we thank You and we praise You this morning for each one here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. (coughs) Amen.